Hello and welcome to the Goodies Pirate Podcast. I'm Dave. I'm Tom. I'm Richard. And this is episode 69, War Babies, sometimes known as World War II. First broadcast on the 18th of February 1980, a Monday once again at 8.10pm. Guys, this is the final BBC episode. (sighs) And it's kind of terrible, isn't it? (laughs) It is a pretty poor episode, unfortunately, for the BBC one to go out on. Yeah, I don't know whether I just expected a little bit more with it being the last one, but I really struggled with this I, one. I suppose at the time, look, they obviously didn't know this was going to be the end of their... No. Run. I mean, they expected that they would probably get another series out of the BBC, so... <laughs> and look, again, I think there is some good material in here. Yeah. But as a sort of whole episode, yeah, I, I don't It's know. very disconnected. Yes. I mean... It, even by goodie standards. It is one of those ones that sort of feels like it just changes direction halfway through. Oh, not even halfway through. It changes direction four or five times. Mm. <laughs> because you get the whole Bill being born thing. Then you get them as school kids for no apparent reason. Then you get the World War Two shtick. Then you get the $6 million man shtick. Then you get a soccer game. Whether they're now just getting tired and feeling constrained by the idea of the series, perhaps, or what the series is... Because you've also got that really weird scene in the middle where Graham and Tim are playing the two German guards. Yes. And that, that just sort of comes out of nowhere, really. Mm, mm. Now, whether that's, uh, we realise this is underrunning and we need a quick scene just to fill a couple of minutes, perhaps, I, I don't know. But Or whether the money had just completely run out and they couldn't even afford two actors. No, I think it's more, almost like part of this season, they've gone into a couple of non-sequiturs. They proved that, I think, in a kick in the arts. You've just got that one joke that's a non-sequitur in amongst everything else there. The end of it, where they just threw on the Benny Hill bit. You know, it was a way to end the episode, but it was just that non-sequitur joke or yep. stuck there in uh, the, the writing of it. So it opens once again with newsreel footage. There is a very clever, and I think, very good joke of the wartime leaders entertaining the masses, which it has a little cut footage of Hitler dancing, but then the bit with... <laughs> Chamberlain and the I hold the piece of paper yes then it cuts him ripping it up and then showing it again that's really really clever and I thought that was very well done it's been a while since I've watched this one I've actually forgotten those early scenes with the outbreak of war and sort of the birth of baby Bill it was a bit jarring seeing them again particularly the baby Bill stuff that was that was weird given the time frame I'm assuming it's meant to be them as fully grown toddlers well, that's the thing. They would have been born around about this time. Yes, well, they're all born 1940 or in the year or two just after. So so it could actually be them. Yes, yeah. just emerging as fully grown toddlers. Yeah, it was all just a bit weird for me. They get to do a lot of the pregnancy jokes where, you know, you see Bill's mother getting bigger and bigger and bigger. Yeah, and it's a football team in there. Yes, that sort of thing. And they do the bit with the father pacing around in the delivery room. And then you see all the doctors and nurses coming in and then they either... Tug of war. Even you see that your tug of war team come flying out the door, that sort of stuff. Yeah, there's the joke where you see the clock going fast and you think it's yeah. meant to represent the passing of time and his dad goes to fix it so it stops yeah, doing it. Yeah, the clock's busted. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it was funny, but there's just something I've never found particularly funny the idea of a grown man walking around in a nappy. No. And some, some people pay a lot of money for that sort of thing. <laughs> <laughs> Someone had to 
go there. <laughs> and yeah, just this idea of Bill being dressed up as a baby, I just actually found disturbing rather than funny, if I'm honest. I guess, look, it's over reasonably quickly where they then send him off to the school for high achievers. Um, yes. And, and he gets to get on the bus, you know, and there's the kids reading Einstein's theory of relativity and the one playing the cello, the other two working on a crystal set or whatever it is. Yep, and he's reading Lady Chatterley's Lover. Yes, with a pipe. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> they all arrive at Highbrow Hall, which mm. I think is the same building they use for checkers in Goody's Rule OK. It is, and of course he meets... Again, another sort of fully grown toddler, Graham, who's out there picking on the other kids. <laughs> yes, Graham, age two, or as he later points out, 2.36. Yes. With the large conquer. Yes, and, and indeed the slingshot where he's just, you know, picking off kids in the... <laughs> yeah. And Tim, aged one. I don't know what they're trying to do here, and I don't see why they couldn't at least have been playing like six-year-olds or eight-year-olds or something. It was just a bit... No, particularly Weird. since the school obviously has, you know, kids who are meant to be obviously really quite advanced and intelligent. You know, mm. the eight-year-old kids are going to go and work out the feasibility of a nuclear bomb. I didn't quite get what they were going to do there. And then to have Graham and Bill as two-year-olds who are fully developed and grown, and then have Tim as a one-year-old who's just literally infantile. Yes. That's just an excuse for Tim to do his baby voice. Yes. Well, I was going to say, that, that would have been um, quite an easy episode for him to film, I think. <laughs> Line! Yeah, I was going to say, he didn't really have any lines to learn. <laughs> no, they get the gag in there, though, of Bill being uh, highly developed for his age, where he's eyeing off the nurse. Okay, now we should make mention, of course, this is our first guest appearance in the episode, when we meet the headmaster. So he's played by Geoffrey Palmer, who is an absolute staple mm. of British television for decades. Yes. He was a recurring character in the Army game way back in the late 50s. Uh, he was in Doctor Who twice. Mm -hmm. In some more modern audiences, he'll be known as the co-lead with Judy Dench in As Time Goes By. Yep. He's been in Bond films. He was in a Faulty Towers episode. He was the co-lead with Penelope Keith in the first series of Executive Stress yep. before he suddenly turned into Peter Bowles. <laughs> oh dear. Um, he did an episode of Blackadder. Like almost every cult classic you can think of or big sitcom for a long yeah, time, he's, yeah. he's turned up in at least some role. Indeed, famously, there was a review of one story of Doctor Who where it was in where somebody said, the only good thing in this is Geoffrey Palmer and he's shot in the first five minutes. Yes, that's the mutants, I think. <laughs> it is it? the mutants, yes. <laughs> but look, he comes in here, he's only in it again for one scene, but delivers it really, really straight and he's quite, quite good in it. He has the scene where, you know, one of the six-year-olds has proven to the school chaplain that God doesn't exist. <laughs> so no God stop us until you give him six good reasons for believing in the Almighty. Yes, that's right. Culprit owns up or comes up with three jolly good reasons for a belief in the Almighty. <laughs> he then hands out the task to kids, which for the goodies, he puts Tim on the little aptitude test, putting the <laughs> thing which allows Tim to get to do his sort of vacuous baby face. Mm. And then, yes, you other two, you can... Defuse that bomb! <laughs> yeah, which they do, not a bad scene. They succeed, the bomb doesn't blow up. Tim fails, the gadget does blow up. Yeah. And the principal says that he has a message from them, from somebody very important. Yes, Mr. Ackley. <laughs> <laughs> no, that's Winnie. Hello, Pooh. <laughs> yes. You're going to go on an adventure, won't that be fun? Nods. We're going to drop you into Germany, won't that be fun? No. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we get here, obviously, Tim's 
well, what's meant to be obviously his first patriotic speech. Yes. Which he gets to deliver. Which I guess is a nice sort of twist on the idea that you know, he does it as a baby and he hears the music and is stirred to make a... Yeah. Look, it is, I again just come back to, I just find a grown man doing baby noises not funny at all. And, and it's interesting, the audience don't really seem to be getting into this one much at all. No. The, the laughter is quite muted mm. at, at a lot of times during this. The audience really aren't engaging with this at all. No. Mr Churchill's initiative test is just for them to go to Stuttgart and get him a box of decent cigars. <laughs> so, of course, they're dropped behind enemy lines somewhere in Germany. Unfortunately, Tim doesn't make it. No, it explodes on impact, basically. Yeah. Yes. Picked him up. Yes, all of him. Yes. And plus we have the joke where they're getting the cauliflower for Tim's head. The third iteration of that was quite funny where they give him the real head and brain goes, oh, for God's sake, and throws it down because he thinks Bill's giving him another not one. I mean, that, that probably is a bit of a subversion, perhaps. Yep. It's at this point after they get the cigars that we have Tim and Graham as the two Nazi guards, which, look, it's quite a funny sketch. It sort of really breaks the whole narrative, though. Yeah, it does. As, as a standalone sketch, it is quite funny. It's lampshading that trope mm. of the moment that any German sort of does the, what's the point in all this fighting? Yes. He always gets shot. Yeah. And the other one doing the, no, you'll get shot. No, I'm not with him. He's not with me. <laughs> Attack him. Yes. Yep. <laughs> but yes, they decide they need to put Tim back together. Have a little respect for the dismembered. Yeah, I don't know where that's meant to be. Oh, I'm assuming they're obviously still somewhere in Germany at that point. Well, I thought so, but when... Tim then emerges, he emerges from the ruins of Highbrow Hall. Yes. So it's implied they've taken him back to England in pieces and put him together at the school. Although it doesn't actually explicitly say that. No. So I'm not entirely sure what the deal there is. Plus, of course, they've got stuff on hand, like they've got the aeroplane blue, whatever magazine it is that Graham's getting the instructions out of, the Meccano set, that sort of stuff. Yeah, so this is an example of where the episode does change direction and doesn't even really segue. As you say, one moment they're leaving Germany, the next moment they're building the $6 million man. Yes, the world's first clockwork baby. Yes, which we should mention, of course, is obviously a riff on the $6 million man, a show that ran in the US for 99 episodes from 1974 to 1978. So it was two years old in America by the time this went out. It finished six months beforehand when this episode aired okay. in Britain, so that finished in May 79. Yeah, and I mean, certainly I can remember the Six Million Dollar Man being repeated here on Sundays for oh, yeah. a long time. That was that was a big part of uh, the zeitgeist, but it wasn't exactly the height of it either by 1980. No, I mean, I had one of the toys, the one you had a little engine block. And yeah. yeah. It broke him in half and just tipped him in tin. <laughs> Uh, the operation stuff's not too bad. We get some good jokes there, like the bit where Graham's rummaging around inside Tim's, and yep, I knew it, totally gutless. The bit where Graham starts obviously breaking the toys, he gets the hopping frog and like mm. bracing them, just, you know, like an egg, and then yep. he just puts the mechanism inside. Then Bill says, you know, no, not Hoppity, he's my special friend. I promise I'll be gentle. Rip! <laughs> <laughs> and then, ah, Teddy, knock off with the head. <laughs> <laughs> but then they also did the uh, them bone sequence. Yes. Oh, that's right. And now the really difficult bit. Hear the word of the Lord. <laughs> now this really difficult bit. <laughs> yes. Graham, of course, again gets to show off a bit of his medical knowledge where he starts off with the whole, you know, the metatarsals connected to the tarsal and yes. all that sort of stuff. Tim has now been recreated as the clockwork baby and he destroys the building and heads off. And suddenly they arrive at Checkers where... The army is now sick of Churchill because all Churchill has to offer them is blood, toilties and sweat. And And endless speeches. Yeah. And they meet Churchill who actually looks like Hitler. (laughs) 
<laughs> now, Churchill here is actually played by Andrew Ray, who has a number of genre credits. He was in peak practice for a long time. He was in Our Mutual Friend, and he played the Duke of York in Edward and Mrs. Simpson, which was mm. a big series around about this time. Mm-hmm. So he's quite an accomplished actor, and he does fine with this part, but it's one of those goodies things. We've discussed this a few times in the series where you get a really cool idea, but it doesn't really last beyond the initial joke. So the idea that Churchill actually secretly looks like Hitler is a kind of interesting idea and kind of funny, but you don't really know what to do with it. No, they go very quickly to the idea that he needs a public face and that they've got just the baby. And then, really, they forget about Churchill. It all becomes about clockwork Churchill. Yes. Yes, visiting all the troops. Yes, he's got and Jerry on the brain when yeah. they put the pot on him. Yeah. <laughs> and, and I must admit, this whole segment, everything with Churchill in and the bit after, I had completely forgotten. Okay. I remember the stuff in Germany, I remember the stuff at the end, but all this stuff with Churchill was completely outside my memory so I mean again look you get to make some jokes there he does the, the V for Victory song which is initially the two finger salute yeah and then yeah. they turn around you get to do the bit where they pull the cord on the back for the speech and you that sort of stuff but yeah I think by this stage we're probably starting to run out of steam a bit and just we should mention in there they do do a nice little reference to Dad's Army with the theme and the graphics as well yes that's true with the British pushing the German troops back yeah they later on when we we get to the match of the day sequence, you see the scores there. There is actually a scoreboard in Churchill's office, which is obviously keeping tally of how many victories or whatever they've had. It's on the walls, right at the very top of the screen. Okay. And of course, the episode changes direction again. I sort of almost feel like, well, what do we do now? I know, let's reference the Christmas Armistice, mm. which is the First World War thing, but they come out and they start playing soccer, and now, of course, it becomes match of the day. Yeah, yes. 66 World Cup. Yes. <laughs> well, it's basically match of the day to win the war. Yes. Really. And as you said, it's a go back to the 1966 World Cup. Yeah. I thought this was the weakest part of the episode. I was actually quite bored by now, I'm sorry to say. Mm. It was a very extended joke. Yeah. Just, just joke. to get there to the final end of it, too. And even when your dramatic inclusion is somebody with a measuring tape confirming the ball's gone half over the line. Yeah. That's not the most exciting or dynamic finale. No, not, not really. No, other than the, uh, the awarding of points. And, uh, yeah. and for these three, lollipops. Yeah, so long, suckers. So, yeah. Which, again, uh, in hindsight, is really quite a poor ending, really, for the BBC run. Yeah. Yeah, well... So, look, there are jokes in there that we've all enjoyed, but... I just thought this was a bit of a mess. I was looking at my clock by the end of it. and Yeah. Look, it is a great shame. There's, there's a lot of stuff in here that I think with a bit more energy and a bit more expansion could have been really good, mm. but it all just felt... Forced. Yeah, that's a good word for it. And, and again, looking back at this series, like, I love politics. I really enjoy Saturday Night Fever, and I think Saturday Night Fever is an iconic episode in terms of its imagery. Uh, Animals is a really good episode. You Friend, You Foe is a favourite of mine. Again, both of those have some really good imagery that sticks with you, animals particularly. So out of this series, there are some really good stuff. Mm. But there's also this and A Kick in the Arts, which we didn't like much either. No. So I think this is an example of when the goodies just fail, they do fail quite badly, and this is mm. just the happening. And it is the last one in the sequence, so it just feels like a few, look, let's just put some random ideas together and hope it sticks. Mm. Mm. So a... Disappointing finish, but look, it's the goodies. We still get to see some of their antics. There's still some good stuff there. Any other final points? 
note I had is, and we mentioned it earlier, is the audience really don't seem to be getting into this much at all. Mm. I know how they felt. <laughs> <laughs> we'll move on then to our regular segments. Tropes and firsts. Well, again, Tim is the odd one out. Well, see, he's got no really active yeah. part. It's Graham and Bill doing stuff together, yes. and Tim's almost just sort of tagging along with them at the start. He basically is either the baby or he's the robot that they're making work for. Yeah. Do you feel this is Graham and Bill's commentary on us writing the episodes that Tim just doesn't? Well, I mean, Tim himself did say, I mean, any time, particularly once he stopped having any active involvement in the scripts, any time somebody was going to wind up in freezing cold water, have to do something a bit dangerous, you know, have the crappy role or whatever, it was invariably him. Yeah. Why, why should we have to go and do those things when we can make Tim do them? That's right. We, as mentioned, get the Land of Hope and Glory speech in the yep. commas. Yeah. I don't know. I didn't have anything else, really. The only point that I wanted to make is that there were a couple of harkbacks to the very early format in that this is an example of a special guest star who gets a role in Jeffrey Palmer, yeah. which is very likely first. And technically, Churchill is giving them a task. Yes. So there is a little bit of that feel of the agency Yes, there. okay, yeah, that they're actually being asked to hire to do something. Yeah, it's not them in the same sense, but yeah, I thought there was a little bit of an echo there. Mm. What couldn't they get away with today? Perhaps Bill and the Nurse? Maybe, depending on the show. Yeah, I mean, it's not overt. He's sort of just giving her the sly wink. So, so is the nurse. Yeah, well, that's true, I suppose, given he's meant to be a two-year-old. But there's nothing really in this I would have thought that... that I thought it was pretty tame. Yeah. There should be, I suppose, a distinct lack of Hitler in anything we do nowadays. Oh, look, even Doctor Who's had Hitler locked in a cupboard now, so let's face it, this isn't exactly whole honey, I'm home. No, true. <laughs> That's our next podcast. <laughs> the only note I had, look, there were no cuts made here when it was screened. And so we move to our favourite gags from our final BBC episode. Tom? Look, I'm going to go with defusing the bomb and the blowing up of Tim's little device at the end. So, <laughs> little shake board. Yeah, yes. that's... That's not bad. I'm going to go with the very first joke, which is Chamberlain and the note as the conjuring trick. I thought that was very cleverly done. That's quite good. Yep. Richard? Um, I I think probably the best sequence in it perhaps is a bit where they're rebuilding Tim. So I'm going to go for that, I think, the the sequence there where they make the clockwork baby. I did have the note here that I think Tim's patriotic speech is at least another version. They get at least one more spin on that gag. So look, that was quite interesting as well. So there you go. So our next episode is going to be the first of the ITV series, which is Snow White 2. Mm. On your way to the Magic Forest, maybe you'll take a walk in the Black Forest. You've been listening to the Goodies Pirate Podcast, the Australian podcast that puts the good in goodies. If you've enjoyed what you've heard, please do leave us a review on iTunes. We'd love to hear your thoughts on this episode or your thoughts on upcoming episodes. So please drop us a line by email at pirategoodiespc at gmail.com. Send us a tweet at at pirategoodiespc or find us on Facebook at facebook.com stroke pirategoodiespc. Goodies, goody, goody, yum, yum. Come along, boys. Say you'll do it. And not just for Mr. Churchill, but for England.